Let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed that opening song, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Jor. You can download it on any of your favorite platforms, and they are graciously donating proceeds to Alzheimer's Speaks. Really appreciate those efforts. And for those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we're about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations, and our goal is to raise all voices, big and small, around the world. So those diagnosed, those that care and serve them, advocates, researchers, authors, movie directors, singers, songwriters, everyone is included here because it takes us all to shift our care culture. So we'd love to hear your voice. Feel free to reach out to me at Lori at Alzheimer's Speaks if you're interested in being a guest. So today's show is going to be about finding peacefulness through grace, acceptance, and gratitude. And before I introduce our guest today, I just like to give a shout out to a few organizations and some things that are going on. So the Memory Cafe directory is a wonderful resource. There's over 900 memory cafes in the U.S., Now, not all of them are doing virtual, but Dave has been updating the virtual cafes, so please feel free to join one of those. Um, We know that this is a difficult time, and we still want people to have a place. Um, Mine that I do is called Arthur's, and it's in Roseville, Minnesota. And uh, you're more than welcome to join us no matter where you're living throughout the world. We are also going to be doing another sing-along with Barbara Lee from Music Memories. Um, We did one on the 16th. It was extremely popular. In fact, one, uh, one man sent me an email saying his wife had watched the video 29 times and sent me a picture of her standing in front of the TV um, clapping. It was just uh, incredible to see. So we're excited to do that again. That'll be at 1, uh, 1 o'clock Central Time. You can find more information by going to alzheimerspeaks.com, and that will be Thursday April 30th. And then of course, I have to thank all of our lovely listeners. You guys are so loyal and you take such gracious time to like, click and share our episodes and you're making a huge difference by getting information out to people in need because there's a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and so many other platforms that haven't really told anybody that they're dealing with dementia. And the more information we can have out there, the more comfortable they're going to feel to reach out. And I truly feel that we are building a great sense of community, collaboration, and comfort. And to me, that's that's our path to winning this battle against dementia. So again, thank you so much for, for being such loyal listeners and helping share Alzheimer's Speaks platforms, not just the radio, but the blog, our YouTube channel, and so forth. So let me introduce you to our guests today. They are really local celebrities here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area of Minnesota, and I'm just thrilled that they can be with us today. I just so highly regard um, both of them. Uh, we We are just thrilled to have Joan Steffen with us. And some of you, if you're, if you're local to Minnesota, you know her because her career was really in the public eye. She is a national Emmy-winning television news anchor here in Minneapolis. And she also is the host of HGTV's Decorating Sense, which was just a huge, huge hit. And she has now found 
her peace and kind of happiness in the afterlife off camera, which I think is really interesting. We're going to be talking about some of that. And she is just so kind and she really walks her walk. And she has authored a book called And She Sparkled. And she also wrote another one, Peace In, Peace Out. So welcome, Joan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. Well, I am thrilled to have you. I have I have just um, followed you forever. You know, I, I just have um, been amazed at your work and then um, getting to, to be reintroduced to you through Facebook and all of the kind work that you you do and um, just the, the gentleness and this peacefulness that you emulate, I, I just find um, amazing. So thank oh, you for that's, taking That's it. really kind of you. I really appreciate that that's, that's how you can see me. Obviously, when you're living inside the human that is Joan, you see the, you see the flaws that, <laughs> that don't, always, don't always live up to exactly what you just said, but, but it, um, it's always my intention. I'm, I'm aiming, aiming at about 91% right now. <laughs> well, and now let me introduce your your husband here, uh, yeah. Joe uh, Brandmeier. He is just a creative storyteller, and he does his work through film and video and still photography. And he's a, recently published a, a real inspirational uh, photography book as well. And he's an award winning documentary on on marriage. I believe it's called I Do. <laughs> And he he has worked around the world with artists like Prince and U2 and uh, Janet Jackson, and uh, he has done a lot of special broadcasts for PBS and ESPN um, and the Beijing Opera, um, just to name a few. Um, and his book is called Up North Reflections, Moments and Memories. I love that title. And uh, again, yes, I, I was right. Looking at my notes here, yes, you are the producer and the director of I Do. So, welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing? I am awesome. Thank you for uh, so much for that kind intro. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to to have you both on the show because, again, I, I admire uh, the work that you both do and just the presence that you bring um, to people is just exceptional. And I think in this day and age, especially when everyone's a little antsy and a little anxious <laughs> and and there's a little polarization going on, you know, it can, it can get, uh, get to be a little telling. So I want to first, I, I always ask uh, all my guests this question first, and I'm going to start with Joan. And the, the question is, have you been personally touched by dementia in your family or circle of friends? Well, I have, um, yes, I, I, it not diagnosed as Alzheimer's, but my mom went through um, a period. She was in nursing care, and she went through a period where you didn't really know where she was always when you'd go up to see her. Sometimes she'd be very present with you, and other times she would be um, in a, a circular kind of a place where she had just grabbed onto an idea and wouldn't let go of it and and other times she would be, it felt like she was in another dimension, maybe with her family who had passed on. And so it, it, um, I was with her and, and with her um, sister, who also passed shortly before she did. So I've, I've been in that scenario. Um, I've certainly been in a caretaker situation because I was the last standing member of my family. So I kind of was the person for my sister and my mother who had long-form illness. So that's my experience with it. Okay, great. And, and Joe, how about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first, Joe, when you talk about the, the last uh, person standing, you know, that's kind of a huge thing um, in what she has gone through. And, and the, the benefit on my end is, yes, my, my mother, I think it was five or six years ago, passed away um, from Alzheimer's. And she spent, you know, weeks, what seemed like, forever in hospice, you know, towards the end of it. But the big difference for what, you know, Joan had to go through is we had a huge family. We have there's six kids in our family. So five boys and a girl. My only sister is a twin to my brother, Michael. 
so that that was the big difference. Um, so it was, you know, the caregiving for weeks in hospice for your mother um, was something that was somewhat manageable. I mean, obviously it was still stressful and emotionally stressful, but you know, you could share some of that, and then not only that, but you could share the experience with somebody else, and you know, that's a big difference from what Joan went to. So, but yes, my lovely mother passed away from Alzheimer's. Do you mind telling us uh, about your mother and the impact that her her disease had on you and your family? Sure, absolutely. How long is this podcast? Do we have a couple hours? <laughs> well, we, we've got 55 minutes left, so talk fast. <laughs> I, will, I will talk fast. Well, I mean, you know, again, everybody, you know, has their, their put their, well, not everybody, but many people put their mother up on a pedestal, but ours was way up on a pedestal. Um, you know, we, we joked because of the Catholic upbringing, we joked about, you know, there's God and then there's, you know, Mother Teresa and then there's Hanky. We called her Hanky. Her real name was Francis. Um, and we believe she came back as Pope Francis, um, the current Pope Francis. But yeah, Hanky. I mean, Hanky was great. I mean, she was she was one who could handle you know six kids. She was one who never demanded respect, but just automatically got it because of who she was. She was she was a nurse for for many many years of her life, and she was a great mother, a great wife, and a great nurse. And she was just great with people. You know, one of the greatest things about her, for me anyway, is that that unconditional love. She had unconditional love like I've never seen before. And we all try to do that. And I certainly try to do that. And, and some days I'm better than others, but she just had a way with, with people, even if she, if you knew she didn't like them or like what they were doing, she had a way to figure that out. So I think she was, she was tough because you had to be with six kids. She was fun. Um, she, like I said, she was a hard worker with her nurse's career you know, she had troubles with, you know, marriage towards the end there. My parents got divorced after 30 years. Um, but she was just, she was just a great, great person that, that I think we respect so much and, and put her on such a high pedestal that when you got to that point in the, in the Alzheimer's, when you would walk into the room, whatever room it was at that point, whether it was the hospitals or hospice or the, you know, the, the living or the early living apartments, and she looked at you and, and she, you knew that she wasn't sure who you were. I, I think for me, that was kind of the toughest part because she was such a huge part of our life that when she looked at you and, and weren't, wasn't really clear on who you were, um, that, that was kind of a big struggle. But I mean, basically she was, you know, she was St. Hanky to us and the only person who could control six kids. <laughs> oh, I love you talking about putting your mom on a pedestal because I, I think I did that with mine too. And I, I joke about how I freeze framed her in time to be this right. perfect person because it made me right. feel more comfortable. And and I didn't want to let go of that. And one day I was digging through oh my god, I had this huge I still have this huge box of pictures and I was digging through it and I ran yeah. across a picture of when I got married. And it's my mom, my dad and I. And and I'm then I start reminiscing about when we got engaged and we called and right. da, 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 da. my mom calls back and you know in 20 minutes she has she has the church the hall and the menu all figured out and we're thinking we're having this little <laughs> small thing in the back backyard but you know my mom loved to celebrate life and that's just who she was yeah, and I, yeah. so I'm looking at this picture one day and I'm thinking oh my gosh this is so unfair that I want that person back. Because everything yeah, has changed. That's huge. My, my dad's dead. My mom's got dementia. And I'm divorced. What right do I have to hold her in time and freeze frame her? <laughs> because it makes right. me feel better and um, and easier, and not wanting not wanting things to change. But yet, you know, you mentioned the unconditional love. I found that my mom was the safest place I could ever go, because yeah. th- there were there were these levels of unconditional love I didn't even know existed. I thought, oh, unconditional love, you get married. Unconditional love, you have a kid. I kind of thought that was it. And it was like, oh my gosh, no! It 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 turns into this whole spiritual thing when you 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 really can't even. There's no words, and even there's limited nonverbal communication, and you're still yeah. connected. And the the intensity of that, yet the comfort of that, was like, oh yeah. yeah. Cute. I call, I, I, I call it waves. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I was 
I call it waves. It, could, it comes in waves. Like you could be literally, I think, John, I'd mentioned this once. I, I, you know, this was early on afterwards. You know, I'm sitting at a stop sign, you know, whenever, and all of a sudden just out of nowhere, just like these waves would come into you. And, and early on, like, you know, maybe a year after or somewhere in that period, every once in a while I would, I would pick up the phone and, and start to call her and go, oh, you won't believe what happened today. Or, you know, our daughter did this or something happened. You know, just whenever something happened, I would reach for the phone early on and start to call her or start to, you know, attempt to do it. And you go, oh, okay, well, that's not going to happen. But, but Joan, you talk about the spiritual thing too. I mean, you, you're great with that kind of stuff, Joan. Oh, well, I, I mean, I was just thinking of something different. I don't know if this is um, in keeping with what you want to talk about, but I was I was watching a documentary about a month ago about bonding and children and how um, at some point, if you have an attentive mother, the amygdala just has a permanent connection to the to the the child. So it, it you can't get closer than living in that area. The amygdala is associated with flight or fight or you know or defense. And so it it talked about how that's where we're kind of fused together as a, a mother and child. And that kind of made sense to me because it is that place of safety that you go and you feel like you want to run or you're afraid of something. So, um, yeah, uh, the spiritual thing. I think I was going to say that I think Joe uh, talks to his mother more now than he did <laughs> even when she was alive because uh, he was she was such an important person part of his life his her picture sits on his desk and he he runs things by her um the the uh, you know either the idea of what she might say or or how she i, I mean i i'm enough of a woo-woo person to believe that their energy is still around us so um would you like to sh- would you like to share um how important she was when we first kind of started seeing each other before we got married oh, and no no, we, it was. We were would you like me to married. tell the boat story? Should I tell the boat story? We were already married. <laughs> Go for it. He, I said I, it was one of those silly things that I said. If if there was a choice, if your mom and I both fell overboard and there was only one <laughs> one life preserver, who would it go to? And Joe was adamant it would go to his mother, Hanky. <laughs> and Laurie, it was, it was one of those like reactions like well i mean i didn't even think about it and all of a sudden i said well if you both fall off and i went well of course it's going to go to hanky and, and I, I didn't even realize that i said it at that point and this is early on in our marriage and i looked at her and then i started kind of backpedal going well but you're younger and you can swim and she you know like, <laughs> so that was she knew right away the importance of hanky she definitely was behind that that importance but so anyway that's yeah that's the hanky story yeah, the uh, last no. of her rock solid foundation for him was really was really huge. Yeah. Oh, I I I can imagine my mom. You know, you're talking about the the kind of the woo woo. My mom started coming to me in dreams before yeah. she died, and and one night it was like two in the morning, and she's like, "Get up and finish my obituary. I'm not hanging around here much longer." And it was like, "Oh, okay, okay." I I, I you know, and she's like. It, and so and I got up and I was working on that. And then when she died, um, very, very spiritual connection with her. I, um, I made this commitment to start Alzheimer's Speaks because of her. You know, we were always in this wow. together. And so mm-hmm. she told me like four months before um, she died, she said, you will not be here when I die. And I'm like, but I'm always oh. here when I die. I am the, like the transitional person, Mom. Don't you know that? You know, and and I'm 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 that person for a lot of people. And she's like, Nope, I need you gone. She says, I need the others to experience death. And my mom was always big, always big. When we were little, we went to every funeral and wake. And her friends would say, Garth, you really shouldn't be bringing your kids here. And she says, They need to understand birth and they need to understand our exits. And neither should should there be any fear of. And she says, and so she wanted the rest of my family, my siblings, my kids, grand grandchildren, nieces, nephews. She wanted them to experience death. And she said, they will not do that if you're here because you'll just do it, Lori. And so lo lo and behold, my mom is actively dying. And I have two keynotes in Arizona. And I can't get out because I'm like, there's no one to replace me. 
And so yeah. my all all of my family except my daughter is thinking I'm having a nervous breakdown because I'm always there. Plus, I think they were a little scared I wasn't going to be there because I was the anchor then. And yeah. she had everything planned out. I mean, I really truly believe this. She had uh, the man sitting on the flight with me had an in-law living with him with dementia. So we jabbered about dementia the whole flight. I go wow. down to get my my bags. And my daughter calls and she says, mom, I think this is it. Do you want to say goodbye to grandma again? You know, and I had already been there three times that morning before I left. And I said, yeah, "Yeah, sure. Put her, put her on the phone. And she says, well, how about if we FaceTime? And I hadn't even thought of that. I just thought the phone. I didn't think, you know, we'd do video. So here I am in baggage claim, looking at my mom saying goodbye again and how much I love her. I get done. The woman next to me reaches out her arm, gives me a Kleenex and says, I don't know if you know this, but I sat across the aisle from you and my mom had dementia too. And I eavesdropped on every <laughs> word you said. Oh. And, and I wish I would have known you that. And the whole trip was like that. It was like she had planned wow. everything. When I went to go speak, um, right before I had gotten on the phone with her and I said, mom, I'm going on stage in 15 minutes. And, uh, and this might sound kind of crass, but this is how we talk to one another. And I said, Mom, I expect your ass there with me. We had a deal. <laughs> and, so, and so I walk up on stage and I trip. I didn't fall, but I trip. And when I looked up, all I could see was bright white lights all over. And the oh. room got, I, I just got goosebumps. And I'm like, I don't know if she arrived or if she died. And oh. you know, I had to do my keynote. Two hours later, I get off the I get off the stage. I I call back, and my daughter says, "Mom, you're not going to believe this." And uh, she said, "After you hung up the phone or the video, whatever you want to call it, with Grandma, her body got so hot and so red, we could not calm her down until about 15 minutes ago." And I said, "That's about when I got off stage." Oh. I mean, we were we were connected on so many levels through that trip and even when I came back home um, she came to me after we did the funeral and she in in a dream and all I heard was the happy song uh, Pharrell Williams song playing really loud two, two nights in a row the third night I went to go to bed and I just said mom I I get you're happy, and I get the line, I'm supposed to figure out what makes me happy, but I need some sleep, you know, and that third (laughs) night, I I only heard the song a couple of times, it was like she was, like they were playing in another room, and the door just cracked open, like twice, like I'm still here. I love that. But yeah, I I firmly believe in yeah. And one of the most comforting things that was told to me when my mom was kind of going in and out of what we call reality, um, I was talking with a friend of mine who is Native American and has worked as a shaman within her community. And she said, in our culture, we call this moment that she is in apartment hunting, that she goes off and she she explores other dimensions looking for her new apartment and then we'll come back occasionally and so that may be the moment where you feel like you know like oh they're confused well they've just been shifting dimensions in some way so I thought that was a really comforting take on it oh very neat yeah there's there's just so much to learn through uh, just through the relationship process and then you talk dementia in there and I, I think dementia is really here to teach us to um, live much deeper and um, be more relationship-based, forces us to slow down, pay more attention. And it also, and this kind of brings me to my next question I was going to throw to Joe, it, it brings us to that question about the pain that can be brought about by, you know, I don't care if it's dementia or chronic illness or whatever, but, you know, moving through that and helping you see the little joys um, and, and from what you say, Joe, you must have had a ton of those little joys, but I'm sure you had moments of significance oh, yeah, as was, well. Yeah, but the, I, I think the, you know, I think it's like I mentioned before. For me, anyway, the the toughest pain, without question, was the blank stare that she gave you, and she wasn't sure who you were. And even to this day, I still get choked up because you're thinking, oh, excuse me, it's 
and you use it, it's still going to show up. But it's that, <laughs> it's that walking into the room or hanging out with her, um, and as she looks at you and not sure who you were, I mean, it's a really, really tough thing to do. You know, I mean, that's that's what kind of um, kind of ripped my heart out. And, and, you know, we have a crazy family. So humor um, was a huge, huge thing. And that was one of the running jokes we had because she spent so much time in hospice. We kept saying because of the Alzheimer's, she forgot to die. Um, so <laughs> just because it was because it was such a long time. And then humor was there. And certainly music was always a big, big part. And, you know, they have studies now about how music helps dementia and Alzheimer's and and so, you know, my brothers are very musical. And then we also, every once in a while, would bring a, a a woman with a harp would come into the room and she would play Christmas songs or she would play different things. And, and you could see her really reacting to that kind of stuff. So you would, with the pain, you would find, okay, what's the joy? And the joy was spending time with your family, my brothers and my sister. I mean, you know, in a weird way, it was just an amazing time. And then, you know, the other stuff, you know, that kind of comes along the way. But I, I think that one of the, the best things I did was because of my background, I, I had some cameras laying around and, and I did an interview with her um, before she got too far down the road. You know, she was still somewhat coherent um, in understanding of, of things, but you could feel that it was kind of drifting in. And this was an interview and she hated cameras. Every time you put a camera in front of her, her hand would go up and she hated cameras, which was really funny because our family is completely the opposite of that. We, we kind of look <laughs> for the cameras, but, um, but when I sat and talked to her, you know, I just put the camera up and I kind of put it off to the side and then we just had a conversation. So if anybody's out there listening and, and you have a moment or you feel like something's heading that direction is there's so many ways to record your, you know, yourself right now is, is do sit down and do an interview. You know, I hate to use the word interview, but have a, a real conversation with, you know, the, the mom or the dad or whoever it might be. And you get these great words of wisdom and you get to really understand who she is and, you know, every once in a while, I'll go back to that video and I'll just I'll just watch it. Um, and there's a couple times where she stopped during the conversation and she put her head down and she just looks at me and she goes, she used to call me Joseph. And so Joseph, she goes, just my brain is just not not working anymore. And then she would look down and she, she knew that something was changing and then she knew where it was going because she was a nurse. So she was well aware of it. Um, and, and there were just really powerful moments. So between humor, music and recording them. You know, th- that was a big help, and that's kind of how it got me through a lot of the stuff. Yeah, the recordings. So I've got um, some video of my mom singing with a, a music therapist, and, oh, my gosh, I-, I can have the worst day, you know, ever, and I just watch that three-minute video, and life's okay. Right. You know, right. so right. Re- recording those moments are really, uh, I think, important Um no matter what they are. And I think the use of humor sometimes gets sidestepped because people are so worried that they're laughing at instead of with. And and it's like you laughed with them before, you know, and that's probably one of the most precious human gifts that we have is, is laughter. Why would we ever give that up? But, but there's that stigma that goes with it. And that some people think, you know, are judging that, you know, you shouldn't, you're laughing at, you're, you're laughing at her, not, yeah, her. no, absolutely. And, and there, and Jonah, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was nope, going to say, I'm sorry. I, I was, I, Joan, I was just, when she was talking about laughter, I just, I mean, I heard Kiki's laugh. Kiki is her uh, Joan's <laughs> sister, Karen. And, you know, that was, we've talked about that before where, you know, she <laughs> struggled with cancer for a long, long time. And I was, you know, kind of it brought some sometimes silly humor into it, but I always would say to her, to Karen, wait a minute, hold look. on, wait, but, sometimes silly humor, like we'd be in the <laughs> hospital room, Karen and I, and maybe one or two of our daughters, we'd be, we'd be in the hospital room and all of a sudden we'd look and we'd hear noise coming down the hallway of the hospital and it would be Joe with the custodian's cart riding it, or he'd be, you know, <laughs> pushing someone we don't know in a wheelchair or anything to make my sister laugh. And he did. <laughs> right. And, and, and humor was tough because I mean, you know, it, it's, it's that thing where you, you don't want to like exactly what you're saying is I had great respect, obviously for the seriousness and severity of what was Karen was going through. But on the, other end it's you know she kind of got tired of every time somebody saw her she goes oh karen and oh you know all that poor stuff and don't even even the ride we took around that one day i mean oh my gosh (laughs) it was the last time she was discharged from the hospital and so 
Um, it was my mother, Joe, and I, and then Karen got into the front seat. We were just going to take her home, but she wanted to drive around Cambridge, Minnesota, which is our hometown and where she was in the hospital. So we drove around just a little bit, and then we find ourselves, Joe has taken a turn and is now driving through the cemetery. And my sister laughed so hard. I don't think Joe intended to take her for a ride through the cemetery, but but um, she just found it so funny. So, you know, and I think humor is, like a, is, is healing as long as, as you said, it's not it's not at them, it's with them. And she was definitely laughing with us that day. Yeah. Joe, were you going to say something else? No, I was just going to say it was, it was one of those things like Karen turned and said, you know, are you, are you trying to imply something that we because <laughs> we, we were in such conversation and so excited to have her out and, and out of the hospital and stuff and you know and so the next thing you know we're just in the middle of the cemetery it was just a strange thing but anyway but yes he well, was huge he was huge and how fun for her to be able to crack a joke on that you know and just mm-hmm. like thinking thinking you're probably driving going oh my god how'd i get here this you know because here you probably probably heard your inner voice talking maybe even you know and just look mm-hmm. Let me let me give peace to all of this. This is okay, you know. This is what yeah. we do for one another. We're still able to to care for one another deeply. Um, now, Joe, one of your brothers wrote a song, and um, I wondered if it's okay if we play part of that on the show, and then you can tell us a little bit more about the song. That would be awesome. Okay, let me go ahead and just push the button here. We'll see what happens. Like a saint, giving of herself every day to anyone and everyone she knew. She had kindness with no strings attached, a joyful heart, always ready to laugh, no matter what she was going through. Raising us six kids while a full time nurse, she set a whole life up to serve God with love for friends and family Well no no one ever once ever heard her complain saying unkind words She lived her faith in amazing boundless energy And when my brother asked her how she stayed so happy all her life She simply replied just like that Oh, she said Nothing more Those three words Cut right through me Through any excuse I might have Not to live just like this Later on in the years She took on the disease Stole away a memory but her spirit would remain strong Yeah, in the end She didn't even know our names But she could feel our love Somehow, way. She still knew what was going on It's when my brother asked her how She stayed so happy all her life Out for the broken mind Can just like that
me every time. Got me too. <laughs> In, I was gonna, I was just gonna play a portion. It's like it's such a beautiful song, and then I'm like, okay, where's my Kleenex? <laughs> so it, <laughs> maybe I'll just let it. Maybe I'll just let it go. Well, that song. First, I just I laugh at the end um, at the WWHD. Um, what would Hanky do? Um, Joan, actually, I think this was your idea, wasn't it? The bracelets. It was. Or, yeah. So Joan, Joan, we were sitting at the hospice and. And Joan came up with the idea. I don't even know where exactly it came from, but um, and then we created these bracelets. WWHT. What would Hanky do? So I literally, to this day, I'm I wear it almost every day. Um, you know, just because if you get into a situation and you go, oh, I just, you know, either I'm mad at this guy or upset at this person or whatever else, and you kind of go and look down at your bracelet and go, okay, what would Hanky do? Um, so to this day, I still kind of wear that bracelet. But, the the song is called Just Like That. It's from my brother, Michael. Um, he is the twin of Mary, um, the sister. Um, and Just Like That came from that interview that I was talking about before when I was sitting down and talking to Hanky about life and, you know, was she happy and what were her regrets and all that, all those kind of things that you, you kind of talk about that you, some of it you may not know. And, and one of the things I asked her, I said, you know, you're one of the happiest people I know. And I, I said, I know you have struggles and I know you've had stress and pain and, and, you know, she's obviously not the perfect person in the world, but I said, how do you just stay so happy? And then she kind of stopped for a moment and she just said, well, you know, just like that, she said, you just, you just have to do it, you know, and, and that kind of stuck in my head. And then I mentioned it to Michael and Michael kind of took it and turned it into that. So, um, you know, that's kind of where it came from, you know, she just is like, you just, you know, have to be, you just have to figure it out. And that was one of the things that stuck with me. So I think, I think he did an awesome job on that song. Oh, he did a way awesome job on that song. It's <laughs> absolutely beautiful. And, um, you know, you just you get to know your mom through the song too, and and just the the perceptions from kind of all sides, and uh, yeah, it's beautifully beautifully done. So um, please thank him for letting us uh, share that song with our audience. Um, and I and yeah, I love absolutely. the bracelet too. The uh, what would Hanky do? That, that that's wonderful. That is no, I think it's huge, and, and 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 that's and that's really important too. And and I say this to Joan when she you know came up with it. And one of the things that's really important, and Joan, this is to you, is is somebody like Joan who you know we've been married a long, long time. You need somebody like Joan um, in those kind of situations, and not only during, before, and after, certainly too, because it, you know it's somebody to lean on, it's somebody to laugh with, somebody to cry with, somebody to be mad at, and you know that she's you know going to understand why you're mad or whatever. So. Joan, thank you for that, for being there, because uh, you're that, welcome, kind of, <laughs> that kind of person's important, you know, and, and so who's ever thank out you, there. Joe. Yeah, no, I, I think it is important, so thank you. So anyway. Well, I think, I think your mom taught you um, a lot about grace and acceptance and gratitude, you know, through that, uh, through your life experience. Sounds like your whole family right. and everyone she touched you know, she was just a living example of, again, um, probably not a perfect person. None of us are, but just no, not tried, at all. Yeah. Tried, trying to do uh, do the best she could and knew that there were better ways. And and simple, It's it, I, I have this feeling, and again, I, I never knew your mom, but um, she kind of reminds me of my mom in some ways of, of um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just having kind of this simple attitude towards life that it doesn't have to be complicated really gets down mm-hmm. to some just basic philosophies of how do you want to live your life and, and yeah. who do you want to be um, and things. Jones so, mom. That was Jones mom. Could, could, could I just quote Einstein here since he's such a, a pal of mine? Sure. Uh, Einstein, Einstein says, if the solution is simple, God is in the answer. And I just so appreciate that. And then his quote about you, you know, basically you can look at your world as if everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle, you know, and it will basically be true. So it's both of those things just kind of speak to me in this moment that, that idea, it's some of it, no matter what you're going through, there is always some choice somewhere that you can make that leans towards miracle or, or at least doing something simple either for yourself or for your, your parent or your person who's going through the challenges. So um, God bless Albert Einstein. 
Yeah, and, th- and life doesn't have to be big and fancy and packaged. And I no. think that's kind of the, the whole keeping up with the Joneses, you know, um, attitude that has kind of run mm-hmm. rampant. And, and I think the COVID has kind of put that back down to like, oh, my roots are showing, my nails are growing out. my you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even have to have pants on if I don't want to when I'm doing Zoom calls, you know. Oversharing. Yeah, I think think that's a blessing. But I think it's just being, it's getting people to feel more comfortable being themselves instead of trying to meet an image of of what they think the world is expecting. And, um, you know, how that ever got started, um, it's hard to say (laughs) with all of that. But I, I love that you know, I'm seeing, uh, and I think dementia does this. I think, I think the COVID has done this. You know, when it, when we feel trapped and really out of sorts, and you know, lack of knowledge, we have to get creative and we have to rethink about what are our values, what is important, mm-hmm. and and um, and I think we find these simple things that really brought us joy and happiness that we overlooked because we were too busy being busy, mm-hmm. and so. That's yeah. something I, I appreciate both with uh, with dementia and COVID. Not that I would wish any of them on anybody, but I but I do think there right. are blessings wrapped in everything in life. Well, um, but you're only going to find them if you're looking for them. Yeah, I Go agree. Ahead. I mean, isn't it? Isn't I was just going to say the opportunity. I feel like if you can look for the opportunity, you will find the opportunity, even though there is horror out there and there is tragedy out there and there is, there are. Things there, but there are plenty of people to focus on those if those are what's right in front of them. We have an opportunity if, like in this moment, I'm healthy, I'm living in a home, I'm warm, I have clothes, I have some food in the refrigerator. I have the opportunity to go inside. I have the opportunity to imagine uh, what positives may come out of this, and from that imagination, start to grow something more beautiful in the world. It feels like if you have the chance to look at this as an opportunity, that's that's where you'll find gold. Yep. I know when I go out and speak, I always tell people that, you know, you, you have a choice in terms of how you look at life or dementia or whatever it is. And it can be a gift or it can be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Which, do you, which do you want? You know? Yeah. And, there's and, a, there's and, a movie that Joe and I quote constantly. It was called it was from Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks. There was a character in there and um his line was, Would it help? To everything. <laughs> like, aren't you worried about this? Aren't you worried about that? Would it help? And so we quote that back and forth to each other quite a bit in different circumstances. Like when you're ready to complain about something and you know, or it's like complaining about the weather. Would it help? No. So okay. <laughs> What would help? Then you kind of re- reorganize your thoughts and go back to a, a different uh, branch of thoughts. Oh, that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. And again, something really simple that we can all you know. There's so many simple little lessons that we can that we can learn from. Um, Joan, I wanted to talk with you because you know you mentioned your family kind of escaped the whole dementia scenario, um, but I know you cared for your mom and your sister. <laughs> And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit more on how that was different, you being kind of that sole care partner versus, you know, Joe kind of had a tribe um, around yeah. caring for his, his mom, Hanky. Well, I took a bath in victimhood for a while. <laughs> it, did, it didn't feel good. I, I, You know, there's that part of you that wants to be the little kid and, you know, kind of rail and shake your fist at this guy and say, why me? Why am I the, you know, the, the one left standing and um but but i i i know that almost everything that i have ever felt pain for in my life turned out to be a growth scenario um and you don't always know that when you're in the middle of the pain if you can that's if you can look at it as i'm watching myself transform and finding my strengths and figuring out a way to move forward in the world but um but i I wasn't aware enough in a good chunk of the time that I was taking care of my mom and my sister. I mostly just felt the pain and the frustration. I was reacting to things that were happening and feeling like I wasn't big enough and I wasn't organized enough and I wasn't smart enough. And, you know, so I, those were the, those were the energies that were just swirling around me. Um, 
but it it is a turning point in my life in the sense that I found my strength. And you heard me speak that one day. I found my boundaries up until those moments. I was just, I had very permeable boundaries. Anybody could ask me for anything and I'd feel like I was responsible to get it for them. I was, you know, I, and I didn't matter what I wanted. It only mattered what somebody else wanted. So that left me just kind of battered and bruised. Um, But eventually my, my sister gave me a little speech a couple months before she died and said, this is what I want you to do for me. And she gave me her boundaries. And so I started to work with her boundaries. She wanted her kids handled in a certain way. She wanted money distributed in a certain way. She wanted, it was very specific things that she asked me to stand up for her with. And I did. And it started to show me that boundaries were healthy. So one of the things that came out of this for me was this, this strength, uh, of being able to stand in my own character, of knowing what I felt was right and wrong or or what I knew to be true and to speak it into the world, whereas before I would have just kept it to myself. So um, it was it was the, one of the hardest, hardest times of my life. Um, and my mom was, you know, um, she mourned my sister so deeply that I think there was a part of her that didn't even necessarily want me around as much as you might expect. So it was a, it was a super challenging time. The bottom line is it became such a strong foundation for who I am today. And I don't think that I could speak into the world as I do if I hadn't gone through those um, times of being forged into a certain form of steel, I guess. Um, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. I wouldn't want to go through it again. I, I don't wish it on anybody else. I'm, I keep longing for a way that we can all learn such beautiful lessons through just um, magic instead of pain. That would be awesome. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it also feels like it's part of um, it's part of our learning curve in life. Nobody gets out alive. Nobody gets out without pain. You can choose either to let the pain form you for the better, or you can use it to you know, send you swirling down a vortex of, of, of uh, recycled pain. Um, it, it's, um, it was a huge gift that my family left me, even though I wouldn't wish it on anybody else. I don't know yeah, if that answered no, your question, but. Well. <laughs> no, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I know when I would get um, pushed up against the wall, which was often, and, and I would have mm-hmm. like a screaming match with God. And, and yeah. one day I realized what I was screaming at him and I was I was screaming what's the lesson there's got to be a lesson and then it's like oh my gosh I could ask that in a nicer way and still get the answer but it would it would I always got the I, I always I say got like the, the first answer excuse me the first lesson is patience right? yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but but to me part of part of the lesson was learning to ask the question of what yeah. the lesson was yeah. because it wasn't I wasn't focusing on really what needed to be done. I was focusing on all the minutiae and just feeling overwhelmed and kind of like you yeah. said, sucked into that black hole. And so that, you know, what's the lesson really believing that there is something to learn by going through all this. Um, then I, then I kind of got laser focused and I could, I could see, and I could probably receive messages coming to me that I, yeah. I wouldn't have interpreted before because I was too overwhelmed. And um, I think and you were brilliant to ask. I think you were brilliant to ask what's the lesson because that tells me that you, you know, that you were aware that there was something at work that was higher than than the the things that you were going through on a physical level. I it you it opens you up in a way, and and it also calms you down in a way because even though you know there's a purpose and a lesson, then then you can look for those signs and you just walk a little more calmly through it. I, I honor you for doing that. It took me a long time to get to that point. I just wanted to fight back. Yeah. Well, and I don't, I don't know that I was enlightened at the time. I just thought, damn it, there's gotta be something here. This can't all be <laughs> right. not. You know, I mean, I think right. that's really where, right. where it was coming from um, and didn't really know that it would, like you said, open me up and make me realize that I wasn't even looking for what I needed. I was right. just 
sitting in the overwhelm, uh, overwhelmingness of, of the whole situation. And I loved when you talked about boundaries too, because I was, uh, uh, you know, I was, I, and I think it's very common, you know, for people. Um, I would have yeah. friends that would go, "Why do you do all that stuff?" You know, I would never yeah. do that, and I was like, well, "Of course I would do that. Of course right. I would do that." And then, you know, one night I had a, a dream that, you know, kind of woke me up and said, "You know, you're really not a caregiver. You're an you're an enabler. <laughs> you know, oh. it's gonna kill you." Oh. <laughs> And it's going to kill you, lady. You, you got to let go oh. of some of the stuff, you know. And, uh, and well, you know, my, yeah. And my little daughter oh. saw that when she was like four. And I remember her saying something to me. She was like three or four. And it was just like out of the mouths of babes. But, of course, I poo-pooed it because she's little and didn't figure yeah. it out until I was like 40. And she said, Mom, not everybody wants your life. Oh, and, and what I'm a like, wise little kid. They kept coming to me to fix theirs. And she's like, not yeah. everybody wants your life, Mom. <laughs> and it took yeah. me many, many years to figure out, boy, was she right? Was yeah. she right? Did what help, a wise little kid. Yeah. So, um, yeah, lots of lessons so, through this, this caring journey. Um, I do want to talk about, you, you know, both of your books uh, that you've, you've written um, because they're just, they're so wonderful. And um, Joan, you know, I got to hear you, you speak and, and talk about, about your, your book. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, and I ended up buying both of them. And then Joe, your book as well. So I'd like you, um, I think I'll throw it to Joe here first, just to talk about um, your book about nature and how that came about. And then we'll let Joan talk about her two books as well, because they're just all so beautifully done and just wow um, they just they just bring peace you know uh, to yeah, the soul. I love that well, I love that because I think that's exactly it well first of all thank you for that that's so kind um mine is is up north I mean up north uh, reflections moments and memories and for me it's it's you know you talk about family up north was one of those places I was born in Fond du Lac Wisconsin and we would go up north um, you know, all the time. So Northern Wisconsin and, and it just became kind of this, this escape from reality, whatever that word reality means. And, and, you know, peace of mind and, and kind of an inside kind of thing. It was never a destination. It was just always a feeling. So anytime to this day, if somebody says up North, I can just kind of put a smile on. So it became really important. And as a photographer, um, as I would go up North and, you know, whether it was Northern Minnesota or Northern Wisconsin, and there's a couple of photos in there from Alaska, which I have a, a big heart in Alaska too. Um, I would just start snapping some pictures um, because I just loved, as Joan talks about miracles are everywhere. Um, and eventually they kind of, I kind of grabbed a bunch of them and I started knocking on a couple of doors to see if anybody wanted to publish it. And long story short, I bumped into Tristan publishing. Um, and at first they weren't that excited, but eventually they were. <laughs> um, and then Tristan publishing also did Joan's books too. So, and, you know, their their kind of theory at that point or, or mission at that point were books with a message. And for me, it's a book of photography that of places I've been. Um, it's not a, you know, a cabin or a person or a thing. It's just more of a feeling. So it's, it's sunrises and sunsets. It's close-up of animals, close-up of little miracles of flowers, close-up of, you know, excuse me, different things. Um, just kind of that feeling of up north. And then we mixed in these inspirational quotes, as Joan calls them, you know, from big thinkers and small thinkers, you know, from my family to people like, you know, the father of the National Parks, John Muir, who, you know, talks about everything in nature is connected. Um, So we just sprinkled those inspirational quotes on top of the pictures um, and became this kind of uh, peaceful book that you kind of look at. So when I can't get up north, I usually grab that book and I'll go in the corner of our house or outside by a tree and I'll just kind of pace through the book and that will bring me back to a memory of up north. So that's kind of where that comes from. Oh, that's so neat. And, you know, for people, oh, go ahead, John. I was just going to add, add something just because I, I think the book is so beautiful and useful. It is, I was in kind of a, we were up, we were going to be giving a speech in Northern Minnesota doing something and, and I was feeling nervous about it and, you know, a little agitated, like I wasn't really ready. I sat down with Joe's book and it, it is, it's like sitting next to a, you know, burbling stream or something. If you can allow yourself to really just 
engage with the photos that he has, it feels like it lowers your blood pressure. It's just like <laughs> a beautiful hit of nature. It's it's beautiful. I love it. Well, in one of the things, Joan, you, you said know, it just how we rehearsed it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you, Joan. One of the one of the things that I I love about the book too, and it's great for people with dementia because it can bring a calmness and it can bring um, some reminiscence back as well Mm -hmm. for them. You know, picture books are wonderful, you know, and it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that they know or that they don't remember knowing anymore. Um, It takes, it takes all the pressure off, you know, when it's, when it's just scenery um, like that, which is wonderful. Joan, why don't you tell us about your, your two books and she sparkled and, um, the other one, peace in peace out. Um, and she sparkled was, um, a story that I, I wrote myself, um, over, <laughs> wrote it in about an hour and a half over the span of five years. So it was, <laughs> some, it was, something that I I was trying to sit down and make sense of why my life didn't feel good, even though I had everything that the world said was what you needed to feel good. I had a great job. I had a great income. I had a, you know, beautiful house. We had a cabin. We had beautiful children, a dog, you know, so it's like, why am I still unhappy? So I sat down and started to write um, what I thought was going to be a, more of an autobiography, but it came out very magically for me um, as a metaphor. And the first half of the metaphor came on an airplane ride, and the second half of the metaphor came um, about the time my sister passed. And bottom line is the metaphor is about how we're all born brilliant and unique and wonderful and purposeful and the world starts to try to shape you away from that. It adds like, what? Well, maybe you should be taller. Maybe you should be prettier. Maybe you should be smarter. Maybe you should be quieter. Oh yes, please be quieter. You know, those kinds of things. And we start to believe that we're not as brilliant and unique as wonderful as we were born to be. And then if you're lucky enough, someday you have um, spirit tapping on your shoulder saying, I think it's time to go on that journey and go back and try to recover that most beautiful part of yourself that I planted in you. And um, so that's what the metaphor is about. It's just a reminder of how lovable and beautiful you are. And so I, I, I still use it today as kind of a blueprint because when I first wrote it, I thought, oh, great, I have the answer. Now I'm done. And It helped me. And then it was like, oh, there are always these layers that come up where you feel like, oh, there's that wounded little kid again who really just needs some more love. And you go back and spend some time excavating those um, those beautiful things about you. Or you can excavate the stories that were told about you that weren't so beautiful and determine whether they are true or they are not. And most often they are not. They are just a story that you heard that you adopted as your own. So it's become this lifelong a blueprint for a lifelong way of being, I think, in the world for me is just to continue trying to remember the beauty that was planted inside of you and not be embarrassed and not apologize for it. Um, and then the other one, uh, it, to me, it feels like everything that happens that's beautiful in this world does kind of begin with that internal seed. Um, and so with peace in, peace out, it's very, very small ways that you can remember that little seed of peace inside of yourself. Just tiny little um, one. The book is written in such a way that the left-hand page has just a little bit of verbiage talking about, try this if you want to recover a bit of peace inside yourself. And then the opposing page is just try this if you want to try to share a little bit of that peace with the world. So um, none of the things that are in the book cost any money it may cost you uh, uh, consciousness trying to find awareness about how to love yourself a little bit more so you can love everybody else a little bit more. But it's, um, it's, a, it's just a really simple book. It's not asking a lot of you, but it's asking you to begin, to begin looking for that peace so you can share it. And one of the last things I wrote in there was something that I say every time I speak. It's like I'm asking you to remember who you are because who you are is brilliant and I'm asking you to be who you are, which takes courage, but be who you are because the world needs that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been designed into the world in this way. 
And when you have that sense of being who you are, you automatically want to share who you are, and that is what creates change in our world. And I think now is the time to to really go inward and 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 start or or move forward on that journey because we are being given a lot of us a gift of time and a gift of um, time for introspection. And I think that ultimately, if we can start to imagine a better world and offer our talents to making a better world, I think that's how we move forward in the most beautiful way from the apparent crisis that we're living in right now. So it seems like a really small book, and and it is, but I'm a big fan of small. I always say, what's the least you can do? Because that's that's, uh, a starting point most people can get to. You don't say, why don't you go out and start a nonprofit and try to feed the people in Africa or, you know, dig a well in in Alabama or what, you know, whatever. It's like, what can you do in this moment? What's the least you can do in this moment to feel better about yourself and feel better about the world? And then that automatically starts to grow because seeds grow. So. Well, that's, and I, uh, that's exactly what that. I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Darn it, you took the words right out of my head. <laughs> you, you have such a calming voice. I'm just going, yeah, whatever she's saying, yes, I'm going to do that. And I've heard it so many times, but it's just like, oh, my God, your voice is so great. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I, I, I digress. But, Lori, would you mind if I ask you a question quick? I don't I, Unless sure. you've got to cut us off. No, um, we, we have like two minutes left. So. Okay, I'll talk really fast. So I have a good friend who has a mom who's in, you know, hospice and dealing with Alzheimer's and blah, blah, blah. And obviously in this crazy time, they're not able to get in there. And I was thinking if somebody told me I couldn't go in and see Hanky, I would be busting through a window on the side when nobody's, nobody's around. Are you, what are you experiencing with, with your circle? What are you hearing and how are people dealing with that? They are really struggling. I, I have uh, one friend whose mom was in a nursing home on a second floor, and he couldn't just go knock on her window. So he grabbed a ladder and he climbed up, and he popped oh. in. And we was able to to see her, which was really nice because she ended up passing away the next day. And so it was just a gift to him. But I, I think communities need to get more creative in terms of how they're connecting. And it, it's nice that people can look at windows, you know, go, go to the windows, but um, technology yeah, is but able to be used. Um, one person has set up an iPad in his wife's room and she doesn't have to touch it. She doesn't have to hear a beep or a ding. He just pops in and says hi. And she hears his voice. Oh. And sometimes she's able to see where he is, but it just gives him comfort knowing that he can see her. So, right. um, but it, but it's a, it's a very, very difficult time right now, and yeah. I wish we had more time to talk about that. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably I, a, another show in itself, so I'm sorry. But anyway, that, yeah, it's, no, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. But, um, uh, I, th- I thank you for bringing right. that up, though. But I do want to give out your websites. Um, all your contact information will be on the show page. But website for Joan is joanstephan.com, and Joe Brandmeier is joebrandmeier.com. So we're keeping that real simple. And then uh, TristanPublishing.com for all of their books. And, again, we'll have those listed out for you. And you can also go to IDoDocumentary.com, and you can see the trailer of of Joe's uh, I Do uh, film, if you'd like to check that out as well or purchase that. But thank you both so much for your time today. This was just a fun, fun conversation, and um, really appreciate all you're doing in the world. So thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having us. And again, I want to thank all of our listeners. You guys are wonderful with your likes, your clicks and shares and spreading the word of our work here at Alzheimer's Speaks. And I just want to wish you all a wonderful week. We'll talk soon. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew and reimagine retirement. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.